When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today on Basic, comedian Eric Andre. Tom Green came out when I was in 11th grade, and then Jackass came out when I was in 12th grade, and then Ollie G Show came out when I was a freshman in college. So it was like these three pranks. It was like... That's the triumvirate for you? Yeah, because I was like, oh, that's the first time I saw people doing comedy where they were getting arrested and they were getting hurt. I was like, that's like, it doesn't get more high stakes. Like they were ending up in the hospital or they were ending up in jail. And then I saw all these like comedians on on MTV doing high stakes pranks where they were like putting their safety and their personal health in jeopardy just for a laugh. And it was just so mind blowing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Basic, the official podcast of the unofficial history of cable television. I'm Doug Herzog, a former TV executive, and I thought this show was the world's most uncomfortable talk show. And I'm Jen Cheney, TV critic at Vulture and New York Magazine. And at the beginning of every show, I fling myself into a desk and break my arm. <laughs> Jen, our guest today is Eric Andre, probably best known as the creator and host of Adult Swim's hilarious, surreal, and idiosyncratic talk show, The Eric Andre Show. Eric has starred in and produced this riff on the traditional talk show format since 2012, and it's returning for a new sixth season in June after a three-year hiatus. All right, and we don't have any desks to trash on this set, so let's get right into Speak it. for with... yourself, Doug. <laughs> so let's get right into it uh, with Eric Andre, and Jen and I will be back after to chat and assess the damage. Eric Andre, welcome to Basic. We start the show uh, the same way each week, uh, which is we ask our guests, do you remember the first time you saw cable television? Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah. Well, I was born in 83. I remember my dad being really excited about watching boxing on HBO. And I couldn't (laughs) really, I couldn't really tell what he was excited about. And because I was, I was young. But then I remembered I got MTV and I could watch Beastie Boys music videos. And then I remember we didn't have Comedy Central at first. And then my uncle and my cousins came down from Rochester with a VHS tape of Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I was like, why can't, I was like, what is this? I was like, why can't I, I want to watch this. This is the best. Like, why can't I, uh, where do I get this? And I would like call Comcast and ask them to like have uh, Comedy Central available. And it was like years before we got Comedy Central. Wow. Full, full disclosure here. And this might end the interview right now. Um, abruptly but uh i canceled mystery science theater off of uh, <laughs> uh of comedy central in the 90s and 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 i'm still i still get hate mail on the internet um, wow. like tw- 30 years 30 years later they they had a, they had a very dedicated and mean-spirited audience is what i <laughs> very hostile audience well hostile they audience. are they when i was like nine years old i want to say they are the reason i knew comedy central existed and I got into Comedy Central via MST3K as a as a little kid. Mm-hmm. So you made the biggest mistake in your <laughs> life. Maybe, maybe there's a reason we never worked together, Eric. That <laughs> might be it. We're in the middle of season three, and this is the first I'm hearing of this. I would never have agreed to co-host the show if I had known. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a blight on my record. There's no Wait, why, why did you cancel them? Was it just Because it had no ratings. I yeah, mean, everybody yeah. loved it. It got a lot of press and... You know, when I got to Comedy Central, it was still, you know, the only things on there were Mystery Science Theater, Benny Hill, uh, <laughs> uh, Bill Bill Mars, Politically Incorrect, Dr. Katz. Kids in the Hall. 
and none of them got any ratings. They were all sort of well-loved. I was like, well, we got to find some shit to get some ratings. But um, So did you cancel every? You canceled everything? No, uh, no. Dr. Katz ran for a while. Bill Maher quit. Uh, he went to ABC. Right. Benny Hill, you know, <laughs> that was what, uh, you know what the big show was, was absolutely fabulous. That was the highest rating. Oh, show. yeah. That's so weird. I was just talking to Ab, uh, to, to Sarah Squirm about Ab Fab like yesterday. Great show. Yeah. What were you, what were you guys talking about? I love her. I was like, I, I was like, they should redo Ab Fab as a movie with like Sarah Squirm and I don't know. That's a great idea. Z Way or somebody. You know what I mean? Oh like my God. Do, I love that idea. They should do, but they should do it like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas style where they're not just drunks, they're like drug addicts too. I mean, Abfab was a huge hit. I mean, it got like really big ratings on a network nobody had and nobody watched. I watched it. No, I'm saying, but uh, nobody watched Comedy Central other than Abfab for the most part. Well, I watched Mystery Science Theater. <laughs> Abfab is a perfect show. It like, it's just two British women just hammered, like bopping around. <laughs> yeah. like, like That is literally the logline for the show. Yeah, it's like, just fucking don't overthink it. Just get these two charismatic women drunk everywhere. And like, it's Let just perfect. It. It's perfect. Yeah. They were like the proto Jennifer Coolidge archetypes. Those, those yes, movies. that's absolutely true. So I, I'm curious, you, you went to the Berkeley School of Music and you studied, I think you played, was it stand-up bass? Yeah. Was your original plan, like, did you want to be in an orchestra? Like, what were you, what was your original? I was in an orchestra, and that was no plan of mine. <laughs> that was a hor hor horrendous accident. No, I, I wanted to be a musician. Mm -hmm. But, uh... Who were, your, who were your base heroes, Eric? That's not an easy path. path. Um, Charles Mingus, Charlie Hayden. You, you ready to lose your audience? You ready to put everybody to sleep? I'm got, we, we go jazz here. We're very eclectic. Carter... Kind of, but I was like writing shitty pop songs and like Frank Zappa esque bullshit that no one wanted to listen to. So you were you were like aspiring jazz musician at that point. My ratings for my band were in the Mystery Science Theater three thousand <laughs> ratings fucking category. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you, I think you started doing stand up after you graduated. So what kind of flipped the switch? I did. I was doing stand up on my final year of school. So I started while I was still in school. I started doing stand-up when I was 20. Were people still doing it at that Chinese restaurant there in Boston? That was like a... Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. In the, in the, ceil in the, uh, in the ceiling, in the, not the attic, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the name of the comedy, comedy studio with... Uh, right, that's right. Run by Rick, uh, Rick, uh, oh God, what was the guy's name? He was a, such a legend. He's like a Boston legend. Oh, I know, who you, I know exactly who you're talking about. He's a friend of Dennis Leary's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was a perfect yeah. weirdo. But he was right. sweet. He was sweet, but he was a perfect weirdo. The first time I ever bombed, like the first two first two or three shows I did, I, I would bring like all my high school friends out and I would like do okay because I, I had like the training wheels and my high school friends there to laugh. But like the first time I ever did a show, like my fifth show I did there and I, my high school friends weren't there. That was the first bomb. That was the first like absolute crickets bomb. And it was such, such an intense feeling. It's such like a traumatic mm. I still have PTSD from the first time I performed there. But it makes you, uh, that stuff makes you strong. That was like one of my first shows. Did you like have to take a break after that? No, I just knew it was part of the deal and I just persevered. And, you know, you know, starting out in comedy is doing like, is like bombing for 10 years, basically. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, how did you, how did you know how to like craft a set for yourself? I didn't. Were you just self-taught? No, no, I didn't. I mean, just trial by fire. I mean, just learning mm -hmm. from your mistakes. But yeah, I did. I would do Comedy Connection and Comedy Studio and uh, Nick's Comedy Stop. And like half the half the comedy clubs in Boston were like run by the mob still. Like you'd see like guys <laughs> from like Goodfellas, like dudes with like sunglasses on at night, like old Italian dudes, like that would smoke cigarettes inside. You can still smoke cigarettes inside. And like, then I had my set on a VHS tape. And um, it was fucking brutal. <laughs> Some of the most brutal human beings I've ever met were in that era. <laughs> yeah, Boston crowds. They're, they're, Boston crowds are unforgiving for anybody. Well, also, like, Bostoners that run comedy clubs and Boston open mic dudes, like, angry, bitter Boston comics. Just, like, everybody. It was, like, brutal people. <laughs> some brutal people if you're a yankee fan like i am they're known as mass holes yeah yeah 
bitter, bitter, bitter fucking sociopaths. You talked about your base <laughs> heroes. Who were your comedy heroes? I mean, you have such a singular original style. Who were like some of the folks who were like really you were paying attention to growing up comedy wise that I knew personally or just like, no, no, just like that, that had a sort of like an influence on you. Like you were like, wow, that's cool. I like what that person does, or that's interesting to me. There was a trifecta. Tom Green came out when I was in 11th grade and then Jackass came out when I was in 12th grade. And then Ollie G show came out when I was a freshman in college. So it was like these three pranks. It was like, that's the triumvirate for you. Yeah. Because I was like, Oh, that's the first time I saw people doing comedy where, they were getting arrested and they were getting hurt. I was like, that's like, it doesn't get more high stakes. Like they were ending up in the hospital or they were ending up in jail. And I was like, and that, and I got a hold of that, like Todd Phillips documentary, that Gigi Allen documentary that Todd Phillips made in college. So I was like, right. so I was like, God, that guy's so fucking crazy. And he was like, my show, I remember he said, my show's not a good show unless I end up in the hospital or jail. And I was like, what, why? <laughs> like, and then I saw all these like, comedians on on mtv doing like these like prank high stakes pranks where they were like putting their safety and their personal health in jeopardy just for a laugh and it was just so mind mind-blowing so that was like the kind of the biggest influence but i also love and it's not even comedians Ren, cartoons were big influence ren and stimpy and the simpsons and wonder shows and oh wonder shows and i love that i can totally see that in your work <laughs> cult classic one of these days we're going to get it we're going to get a wonder shows in episode yes i hope so it's the best and then um and south park obviously but like stand up the first album that blew my mind was bill hicks rant in e minor that blew my mind and somebody gave me these old richard Pryor recordings early on there's this a compilation called Revolution Evolution. It was like kind of before he, like as he was finding his voice, I want to say the mid '60s, and he was doing jokes like that are still ahead of their time. Mm -hmm. So it's like that's like the Laugh Records era, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Before yeah. he went to Warner Brothers and did the big ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, were you someone as a kid that liked to play pranks on people, or was this something that really developed once you saw like? the shows you mentioned jackass and everything kind of both it wasn't like pulling pranks on people i would do like crazy things at school to get in trouble to make friends and get attention it was like worth getting a detention if like you were going to make your friends laugh so i would like one time i like bashed my head you know how the fire hose is encased in like a glass um yep. i remember in the morning at like 9 a.m i like head butted it i like, bashed <laughs> my head through it and like oh broke the glass as like a joke until <laughs> like, like, you know, whatever, 15 years old. Bashed my head through it, leaned back, and it cut my forehead and, and I outstretched my hands like as I was leaning back and it cut the center of my hands and sliced my head open. And I went to my friends, I was going, stigmata. And I was like bleeding out of my <laughs> hands and my head. And I bled all the way from the English building to the science building. And the my science teacher was like, you have to go to the school nurse and then i went to the school nurse and she's like you have to go to the hospital <laughs> like get out of here <laughs> did you have a concussion i didn't have a concussion i just had to get stitches because i was like sliced myself open hello pantheon podcast listeners christian swain here to tell you more about my experience with raycon earbuds our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You know... Back at MTV in those days, you know, with shows like Beavis and Butthead and Tom Green and Buzzkill uh, and Jackass, one you know one of the biggest worries always was like kids are going to do this at home and we're going to get in trouble. Yeah, you were that kid. <laughs> you were that kid. <laughs> I, but I was already doing it, and but like those shows didn't make it better. Then those shows like I felt like vindicated, and then I was doing it more. <laughs> so me and my friends were already had that in us. But then we, it, that, those shows made it worse, much worse. But Beavis and Butthead, who famously got in trouble for a little kid apparently burning his house down. Burned down, yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that kid's an adult now, and somebody tracked him down, and he's like, uh, that, uh, I burned down my house accidentally. It was not on purpose. I never watched Beavis and Butthead. Beavis and Butthead had nothing to do with it. They, they didn't have cable. They didn't have cable. It was a total satanic <laughs> yeah. panic. Exactly. Like exactly. fucking, it, it was total propaganda. Yeah. We had Mike Judge on. He talked about yeah, it. Yeah, we talked bit. about oh, that Oh, good. Judge. Okay, yeah. okay, good. It really, but it really changed the course of Beavis and Butthead because. That's fucked up. You know, because MTV was programming to young adults, there was always this like, we can't go that far. And it was one of the reasons, you know, we talked about this with Matt and Trey, why we were able to get south park to comedy central because we were programming to adults and we're like you can do whatever you want mm. versus beavis and butthead who have like you know a lot of, a lot of rules and regulations but i want to go back to your childhood in florida which seems to be this place where all the craziest weirdest stories spring from mm-hmm. uh, it's become kind of it's become a thing was that at all evident to you growing up did you think it was uh did you think it was an odd place did you hear a lot of odd crazy shit florida in general yeah yeah, well, I never felt like I fit in. I felt like frustrated and bored and out of place in uh, Boca Raton, Florida. And I knew I like didn't belong there whenever I would right. visit New York or San Francisco. Really? The, the youths didn't love Boca Raton? It wasn't where all the kids <laughs> wanted to hang out? Not at all. <laughs> we were so, we, uh, yeah, we were miserable there. So I knew I wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. I didn't realize how fucked up florida was it's it's a lot easier to see in in hindsight especially now i think it's at its most fucked up i mean politically what's going on there now it's a whole other thing yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, yeah, i knew it was weird and i knew it wasn't for me and i I knew i had to get out there you go so talk about how you came up with the idea for the eric andre show like were you somebody who studied kind of mainstream late night talk shows or watched them a lot or why did you kind of zero in on that genre to to mess with yeah i i'm just some of my influences so tom green jiminy glick space ghost oh, ollie g show they all had space ghost. they all had like the mock talk show in common like those are my favorite shows i just thought like the talk show conventions like one of the earliest show conventions you know steve allen so like it's an easy convention to mock and my influences were all these mock talk shows and also I remember like submitting a tape to try to get an audition for SNL early on and SNL. I, I watch SNL sketches and they're so long. They're like five minutes. A sketch is essentially one joke. 
And like after five minutes, it's like diminishing returns. And then Wonder Shows and came on around the same time I started doing comedy. And Wonder Shows and like understood the purpose of a sketch where it's just one joke, it's a setup and a punchline, and then you move on. And I was like, it was so refreshing watching Wonder Shows and how fast paced it was mm -hmm. that I was like, I want to make the fastest absurd mock talk show ever. And I remember watching this Bad Brains documentary and them talking about how they wanted to be the fastest band. I was like, that's such an interesting goal. <laughs> Just like <laughs> have the fastest tempo songs. So that's kind of all, all my influences are like swirling in my brain around, you know, early 2000s. With the, with the occasional slow reggae dub song yeah. in between their record <laughs> speed. And that came later in Bad Brains. In Bad Brains Evolution, I think they were like having like existential crisis. Also, HR is schizophrenic, so. Or he has, he has some, he has like pretty serious. That doesn't, I, I'm not saying you have to be schizophrenic to want to play reggae later on, but I like their <laughs> hardcore songs better than their reggae songs. Did you have to pitch the show to a bunch of different places or did you immediately take it to Adult Swim? Like, how did that work? I, I, I did, I got a pitch meeting somehow before I wrote anything down with MTV. And I verbally pitched it scattershot to MTV in this really haphazard way. And they were excited, and then they everybody I pitched to got fired, and I never heard anything. And then I, I kind of softly pitched it to Demona Resnick at NBC, not for NBC, but I did stand up for diversity, and I asked her, I was like, I have this crazy idea for a talk show, but I don't really know how to sell a show. I was like 26 years old. I had no idea. She was like, this show sounds so unique. Maybe shoot like a, a sizzle for it like try to scrounge some money and i had no money at the time so i was like i i got my friends together and me and and hannibal and kitao who, who directed all these years like we went to this like abandoned bodega and filmed a, like an early version of it mm -hmm. and then we went like on the streets i dressed up like ronald mcdonald and went into a mcdonald's smoked a cigarette and fired everybody and then we <laughs> and then um and then me and Jermaine Fowler dressed up as slaves and crashed the Civil War reenactment and like ran all around the Civil War reenactment. So we shot these hidden, we shot these hidden camera pranks like in New York and like the tri-state area. And then we shot it, uh, the, the talk show portion in a, in a banner bodega. And then um, I got like a cracked version of Final Cut. And I, I literally bought Final Cut for dummies. And like I had all these like hard drives and all these like all the shitty gear. And it took me like a year to put together this like five minute sizzle and then i sent it around through my manager to all the networks and everybody passed except uh, adult swim hmm. and adult swim loved it and then we did a pilot in 2011 and then we did the first season in 2012 was that their first and i don't do they do they have other live action shows other than this yeah 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 tim and eric was on then oh tim and eric of course i'm sorry right so were you were you first or was Tim and Eric first? Tim and Eric was their first Tim and Eric and Saul the Mole Man or something was their okay. first uh live action. And then And was Children's Hospital it was around the same time too, I think, right? Children's Hospital came out right I think right before me. Mm -hmm. And then um yeah, and then Steve Brule, a whole bunch of a whole bunch of stuff. Once they like shook the mandate that it had to be animated, like the floodgates were over. So the timing was good too. And they hadn't had a talk show since Space Ghost. So Mike Lazo was very pumped to do the show. Mm. Loiter Squad as well came out around the same time. So it was like Children's Hospital, Loiter Squad, me, uh, my show. We're excited to have you today. We're excited to talk about, you know, your show, but we, we certainly haven't talked enough on this show about Adult Swim and what an amazing brand, you know, that was and still is. And and, yeah. and and honestly, you know, I was at Comedy Central when it, when all this was going on and they were kind of rising. I mean, they started to really eat our lunch after a while, Yeah. Uh, particularly after they got, uh, you know, all the all Seth's animated shows. But Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, but uh, you know they they just were doing incredible, really inventive, innovative, you know, kind of pushing the envelope stuff all the time and yeah. and scoring most of the time. Really talented bunch of people over there, Mike and that yeah. crew. Yeah, 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 yeah. God bless. They saved my life. I mean, I wouldn't have a career without Adult Swim and Mike. So, and they were always so uh, creatively nurturing to me and let me do my own thing, make my own mistakes, and we're just there for big picture advice. So, I really have a lot of gratitude towards that That's company great. and towards Mike, yeah. So can you help us understand the process of booking guests for your show, especially early on? Because, you know, it's never clear. Are they Do they know what they're getting into or do they not know what they're getting they, into? They know nothing. I mean, we tell them nothing. Uh, mm -hmm. and, but 
and and the, the booking process is an entire spectrum between almost boldface lying or telling. Tell, tell, I would say lying. I would say telling them like the minimal amount of truth to get them there. Also, you can hide in broad daylight where you just like you don't really like omit anything and eat. like like we had Damon John on from Shark Tank, and I don't think we lied we we're just like hey you want to do this adult swim talk show it's like fun and the kids love it and and people just want stage time and when people are doing press they're just like doing like an onslaught of yeah. media and i think they're just like rolling into the next thing and some people we will kind of it's case by case i would say it's case by case but we try to tell them that we try to tell them as little as possible to get them into the studio but it must be harder now because you know the show has you've done multiple seasons you, you can go on youtube and and, and see all this crazy yeah stuff. yeah but we don't tell them they're going on the air country show sometimes we don't tell them the name of the show we'll be like hey we're oh, doing really yeah we'll, we'll be like hey we're doing a show on turner on turner networks and it's called <laughs> weekend tonight and it's a great talk show and like that's all we'll tell them so they're not wow. meeting me until i'm on camera we're like the green room was a trailer that was like across the street from the stage and we would like keep them in this little like prison cell until we shoot and we'd have a PA walk them to the set. So they're like, they're not seeing me until like they're walking on camera and they're not hearing my name or the name of the show unless they absolutely have to for whatever reason. But we don't, we don't tell them anything or we try not to. It's produced like a full out prank show almost. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It is. Everything, everything is kept under wraps to a a large degree. Yeah. It's kind of like punked, but you have to bring them into the kill zone rather than go to them. So that's hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. And and it's a whole spectrum. Sometimes we do tell them the name of the show if it doesn't matter either way. And at the end of the day, whether they know me or not, like like we had Lil Yachty on and he knew me and I just asked him, I was like, come on and do the show. So he knew I was going to fuck with him, but they don't know right. how. So it's a whole spectrum of like, yeah. okay, they know they're coming on the show. They know I'm going to fuck with them, but they don't know how. There's like that part of the spectrum all the way to mm-hmm. like, we're not telling them. To Lauren Conrad. My name, the name of the show. Yeah, full Lauren Conrad. <laughs> Is Lauren Conrad, do you think she was the most surprised and unprepared guest that you've had for what was going to go on? Or, or was somebody else even more shocked than she was? I mean, there was a lot of people. Demi Lovato was another one. That- yeah, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of people coming out in this season that are pretty damn shocked we tried to um vaccinate chuck liddell and he's like a pride he's like an mma fighter <laughs> guy yeah you yeah. yeah, see guy he did not want to be vaccinated he was like did not holy crap he did not take, we had the syringe all ready for him and he did not uh he was not, he was not stoked on that no he was stoked <laughs> on that and then that i'm um, now his name is escaping me that dude from uh that great actor from the wire and Bosch, oh, Lance Reddick. Lance Reddick. I saw. I saw that clip got uh, all of a sudden uh, resurfaced after he passed. I would say he was the only guest in the history of the show that was in on it. He just like because like we needed him. We had we wrote a bit for Levar Burton. Levar Burton couldn't show up, so we had we had this outfit that was half Kunta Kinte, half Jordy LaForge. So mm-hmm. when Lance Reddick showed up, we're like, hey, we already bought this costume. Can you just put this on? <laughs> and then he put it on and he like came to life. Yeah. That was amazing. So like the interview, the interview part, I was like trying to shake him and he like was, was unshakable. And then we were like, I think we just cut and we were like, Hey, can you put on this Jordy LaForge Kunta Kinte outfit? <laughs> he was like, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just like improvised. So but like we don't after season two, we didn't do any we we didn't even like wanna we called it wrong side of the desk. Like we're like, even if you let one guest in on a little bit, it compromises the rest of the show because then people are like, All right, who's in on it and who's not? So mm-hmm. going forward after that, we were like, everybody, nobody can be in on it because even if you fake one or not fake it, but like even if you let one guest on like the other side of the desk, so to speak, it it, it jeopardizes the, the experience for the viewer for the rest of the guests so it's just right. easier to just like not have any guests in on anything and like that's the one message you right um it's like it's like bad bad trip when we started bad trip jeff germain goes every single reaction in this movie has to be 100 percent real we can't fake a single reaction even even though we're trying to get narrative information from these real people every single reaction has to be 100 percent real because as soon as you make one one fake they might as well all be fake and the audience can smell it 
They just yep. know when it's fake mm-hmm. and when it's real. They can just fucking they feel it in their bones. So he's like every yeah. single, even if it's a little teeny, like a guy at a gas station going. Like we had a, we had this guy walk up at a gas station and I just went, "Hey man, you know where there's a bar around here?" And the guy genuinely was like, "There's a, a place called Electric Cowboy. We just needed like a little setup plot thing." And he he really said that in that that we didn't go up to him and like, "Hey, can you say we're making a movie? Can you say that?" Like mm-hmm. even like exposition, Jeff was like, "Even that has to be a real reaction. We can't tell somebody to say a line." Wow. So so that's kind of like our motto for Eric Andre's show now. It's like every get no like no guests can be in on anything. Like they just have to all be tortured equally. I would imagine, especially with the celebrities, you get people get pissed off afterward or their or their reps get pissed off. Like Lauren Conrad's people got mad at you. Well, I was going to say, do, you, do any of your booking people last more than one season? We, we, we've been through a few. I mean... <laughs> it seems like a thankless task to me. Yeah, yeah, we've been through, we've been through a few. The, the team we had this year was, like, amazing. Like, we, we've had some good... We've had some great teams of people. And... Uh, it's hard. It's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard because they have like they have relationships for other shows. You know what I mean? They don't just work on my show, so they have like relationships right. these publishers for other shows. So you got to really find like uh, a rogue group of people willing to compromise their other relationships. I mean, the Lauren Conrad was the best. Was you know I'm interviewing her, I'm vomiting, I'm eating it back up. She's freaking out, and then her her publicist is like not stoked you know she's like ripping us a new one now oh, you're banned in hollywood she's giving that speech she's calling adult swim she's calling it's almost performative though she's calling adult swim she's calling my reps she's like yelling at everybody she's like burning the house down and then we found out that jimmy kimmel's son was an intern on our in our crew and i, I was like wait a minute jimmy kimmel's son is an intern and i went up to kevin kimmel and i go wait your dad's jimmy kimmel he's like yeah and i go you think your dad would do this this show and he's like i don't know let me call him and he called jimmy kimmel he's like dad you want to do this like crazy talk show and he was like sure you want to just come come over tomorrow it was like weirdly easy <laughs> and then uh and then after the lauren conrad's publicist burned the, the house down jimmy kimmel was like emailing me and he's like hey just get this is my publicist just let them know all the information and it was the same pr code <laughs> same, same publicist <laughs> <laughs> Same company, and they were just like, "What time would you like, Mister Kimmel, to show up?" Ate <laughs> like, their words. And like... <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy does love a prank, though. He's a, he's like, that's his thing. He's a big prank guy. Yeah, and he was tar- hard to prank. He was kind of like he stoned and unflappable. He was tough, but he he loved it. And now we're working on a prank show together. So, oh really? Uh, oh really? Yeah. Well, he. Me and Johnny Knoxville and Gabriel Shidibay are doing a prank show on ABC and, and oh, right. Kimmel's, um, Kimmel's EPing it. And, uh, so, yeah, so tell us about that. Kimmel and Knoxville. Okay. I don't know if I'm allowed to, but I will. I think it's <laughs> whatever. Let's break some news, man. Uh, it's basically prank tank. It's like uh, Shark Tank for pranks. So, like, a, a guest will come, you know, me, Knoxville, and, and Gabby are the judges. A guest will come on in the studio and be like, I want to prank my cousin. They're always pranking me. I want to get them back. And this is the idea I have. And we either yay or nay it. And then if we yay it, then we help them produce their prank. And then and then it drops to the races. So, yeah, it's pretty sweet. So how do you come up with your ideas for your pranks? And do you just have like a running Google Doc with just nonstop prank ideas that you just keep adding to? Like, how does it work? Yeah, well, the the we have a writer. We have a writer's room. It's a pretty traditional process. Like we have a writer's room for the first two weeks. We have like our favorite comedic minds in that room, and then me and my writing partner Dan Curry will just sit with all the notes that come out of that room and go through and pick out our favorite ones. And we'll have like literally like a beautiful mind wall of like a thousand index cards of like every little gag we can do to a guest and every little street prank we can do. And then we like whittle that, whittle that down, whittle that down. And then it's also like subtractive part of the process. And then once we, we go into a season with 44 street pranks and like 200 gags that we can do for a guest. And then like Dan and I will refine that list with Kitao, our, our EP director. And we'll just like 
will add and subtract and add and subtract like all throughout the production process and especially as we're booking guests but we have like the gags the gag gags go into pre-production before we even start booking guests because we don't really know who the guests are until last very last minute mm-hmm. so we just have all the departments cooking on the gags while talent booking is like getting the guest and what about like adult swim and standards and practices do these gags do you have to like run this stuff by them and how much and and, and where's the line i remember the best smp note we ever got in the history of the show was Eric can only defecate out his organs if it looks unintentional. <laughs> Fucking craziest bit of poetry I've ever heard of that something. So I so I filmed like we did set, you know, in the beginning of each episode, I destroyed the set. So during set destruction, I had a bit where I was like gonna shit out my organs and like double dutch rope with my colon or something like that. So so we filmed me, I was like, I'm running, and then I looked at the camera and I go, and I go, oh, that was unintentional. <laughs> I think there's a great coffee table book in like uh, standards and practices notes and productions that go back and forth. I've always told the South Park guys they should do a book of their correspondence with standards and practices. That's such a good idea. We're going to text my writing partner that right now. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's a winner, dude. We should include SP notes yeah. from the show. You know what? SP gets a little sensitive. We try to, I try to bring a list of their notes on. Conan or or Colbert, I think one time, and like somehow they caught wind and and shut it down. They're a little touchy sometimes. They get a little touchy. Well, it's because they have standards. They have standards and, and yeah. they have practices. <laughs> have you ever gone to shoot like a you know one of your pranks or man on the street things, and it just you're not getting the responses you want, and you have to completely nix all, it, or do you all the time? That's why we yeah. shoot so many because so many fail. You're just gonna have uh, a kill rate. Yeah, you just got to overshoot the, mm-hmm. the movie, too. Like, you just got to shoot, 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 shoot. Pranks fail all the time. Speaking of movies, of course, you did the hilarious Bad Trip. Um, Thank you. I remember uh, very specifically uh, you were looking for distribution after you shot it, and we I was at Quibi, and I, you, I think you would have rather killed yourself than sell it to Quibi <laughs> and have it chopped up into 10-minute bites. I, I remember the look on your face during the meeting. Uh, <laughs> the, the beauty of the movie is that it functions like one cohesive 90 minute thing. So you, you like, and it's like, and, and pranks are essentially sketches. So it's like, it, it kind of defeats the entire purpose of you chopping up. If you yeah. chop the movie, up. you know what yeah. I mean? So yeah, it's not, a, it's, it, yeah, they're not sketches. It's a, it's a, it's part of a longer. Uh, also uh, no disrespect to Quibi. I think Netflix. Or, or all disrespect time, to Quibi. Uh, <laughs> I, think, I think at the time Netflix had a few more eyeballs. Just a few. Than, well. than Quibi. No offense, Doug, but but not wanting to be on Quibi was the right response. Like, yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, just, You're right again, Eric. Is there a guest that you've always wanted to have on the Eric Andre show and you just couldn't, you've never been able to make it happen? When when all the controversy was coming out, we were trying to get Bill Cosby on the show. Oh, <laughs> like, in, the height, in the height of Hannibal's. At the height of Hannibal, yeah. At the height of Hannibal's water. Wow. How did that conversation go with his people? Uh, we didn't get very far. <laughs> yeah we were, try- we were trying to have like we're gonna have him on the show and casey anthony and the dc sniper and uh, oh my god <laughs> armin miwes the german computer technician that ate that guy's penis and killed him <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? and and the 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 show is coming back soon in june right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. six we got a six season so and you do the seasons or not i mean you've been doing six seasons over how many years now 10 years, decade. So that's a nice, that's almost like a, that's almost like a curb schedule. You got like a nice, uh, yeah. get a lot of room from your friends and partners at Adult Swim. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so they, you're coming uh, back after like a three-year hiatus. Yeah, it's not even our biggest hiatus. Our biggest hiatus right. is between season four and five because I was making bad trip on and off. Right. So, I mean, is, has anything changed about your approach to the show or, or anything different that we should expect? Not really. I mean, we're just yielding a higher result. We, like, we know how to make, produce street pranks better. Hannibal's not back. Felipe took Hannibal's co-host position, so that's a big change. And then for this season, for season five, I gained 40 pounds. So I was just like eating melted ice cream all the time. And then, and then for this season, I lost 40 pounds and I got ripped. I got like, jacked for this season i was literally consulting with kumail on like what to eat (laughs) body transformation 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a body tra- I did a body transformation. I'll, I'll never do either again. I won't do skinny, fat, buff. Only if like Marvel's swooping in and I was gonna say pay, paying for the doctor. I'm not. <laughs> it's uh, it's so horrendous. Any body transformation, I'll leave that shit to Christian Bale. It is like not. It's too difficult. I'll never do it any of them again. Isn't there a Marvel superhero like the prankster or something that you could play? Like you know. Yeah, the schlubby middle-aged prankster. Yeah, uh, I, can, I would love to see that. That's a body. That's a body mod. I'm ready for. <laughs> <laughs> have you? Have you? Uh, have, it, the idea of like doing a traditional talk show ever of interest to you? Anybody ever approach you? I thought about it, but it'd have to be. I'd have to figure out where it could still be my. No one's ever approached me, but you know, whenever there's that big like changing of the guards every whatever five to ten years when when you know whoever uh, whoever has the when the old white guys leave their posts when the old white guy <laughs> when the old white guys leave their posts i think about it but it's 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 a tremendous amount of work it's a big commitment it's a big commitment and, and harder it, than it looks too it's a ton of fucking work and it's it's you got to really love it that's it that's your job that's your life you got to want to be there every night you got to want to be there every day and you got to be want to be in the whatever town it shoots in and you got to just be like, that's it. Would you do a daily show uh, uh, shot like people are doing now? Is that is, uh, any, of interest to you? Like do a little like three day yeah. daily show yeah. bender? Yeah. Uh, maybe. They have not asked you yet? No. They didn't. I, I, I asked John Mulaney this question and they haven't asked Mulaney either. What are they doing at Comedy Central? They should be asking both of you. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. They're too busy asking Al Franken. <laughs> Al Franklin's doing it. He, he did, did it already. Yeah. yeah, he did it. Yeah, I don't know enough about politics. Maybe I don't know. I might. I might. That might be a good thing. Yeah, maybe that might be a good thing. Yeah, I interviewed Alex Jones. Out of any of them, I'm maybe the only one that Ooh. did that. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah. I jumped on. Um, I, I crashed his like bikers for Trump rally at the RNC in 2016, and I was like got killed by a mosh pit of a- angry men. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure they were lovely folks. I'll send it to you in the chat here. Yeah, oh, cool! Thanks. Watch it. You can watch <laughs> it on your own time. This is the closest. This is the closest I've come to death during. Uh, oh, really? Well, I wasn't in a great. I wasn't in a safe. I wasn't in a safe work environment. <laughs> no, 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 no. Have you ever doing your your intros where you bust up the set? Have you ever actually like hurt yourself doing that? Yeah, John Cena threw me through a shelf, and that didn't hurt. But then the shelf wasn't rigged right, and the sandbags didn't. I don't know, like the shelf came over and, and clocked me in the head and I got a concussion and I had to get a CAT scan. Oh my gosh. The first two seasons, I didn't have a stunt coordinator or any pads or padding or and anybody training me how to do a stunt, right? So I was just bashing through, and no, nor stunt double, nothing. I was just jumping off of furniture and crashing onto like concrete over and over <sighs> and over and over and over again. And just like coming out of that wrecked, I'd be wrecked at the end of every season. Mm-hmm. My shoulder, my shoulders all fucked up, and my back. I remember I was in- interviewing Vivica Fox, and I jumped up and crashed my butt. I like just like jumped up and like sat on the table and the t- and the, and the, the desk, and the desk is like paper thin. And I went through and I landed with my tailbone right on the ground, which is like a millimeter of carpet and just concrete, solid concrete. And I, it sent like this shock wave up my spine. And my spine, my back, like, seized up. And I was, like, the hunchback in Notre Dame for the rest, uh, rest of the season. I was just like, oh. <laughs> you, wow. you, you are so the bastard child of Tom Green and Johnny Knoxville. There's no, there is no doubt about it. I mean, Knoxville's really great. I mean, he got a brain hemorrhage on the last one. I was going to say, he's, he's, yeah. he's knocked his body up really No, really he's bad. fucking great. He's done 16. He's gotten 16 concussions and a brain hemorrhage. Oh, like, that, I'm not willing. That's fucking Lord. crazy. Yeah, that's fucking gnarly. Yeah, he's, yeah. Why? He has no, he doesn't experience pain. Like, those guys no. don't experience pain. It's fucking crazy. They're like carnies. They're like the most <laughs> successful carnies. <laughs> I mean, other than wrestlers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Steve-O put a jelly, would put those, like, deep-sea jellyfish on his oh, head yeah. and shit like that. It's fucking great. Those guys are crazy. <laughs> the amount of pain they can tolerate. So, um, Doug, should we ask the uh, traditional last question, or did you have something else? Well, uh, I just had uh, yeah, one okay. question before we go, uh, before our last question, is do you have, like, an all-time favorite Eric Andre show prank or moment like something that just sticks out as like man that was that was the that was it 
I think the Alex Jones interview, honestly, when I when I when I jumped when I jumped on stage and I asked him to fuck my wife in the middle of his uh, in the middle of his rally. <laughs> All right, there you go. We got that answer. Yeah. All right, Jen, go for it. All right. So our our traditional last question is. What is your favorite basic cable TV show of all time, barring anything that you've worked on? Ren and Stimpy. That's the most influential. It came out when I was 10 and was off the air when I was 13. And those are formative years. It was like Ren and sure. Stimpy was on and and Beavis and Butthead. And also like the music at that time, it was like Wu-Tang and Cypress Hill and Beck and Sonic Youth and Beastie Boys. It was like, that's all, they're all in that same. And, and the Simpsons were kind of like in their, like really found their voice and like had their like beginning of their, like, you just, you just described the mid nineties. Yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was, it, it was, it was quite a time and a good time. Yeah. I always tell people, you know, back in those days, the edgiest thing on television might've been Beavis and Butthead, the Simpsons and married yeah. with children. Yeah. And uh, totally. everything took off from there. Totally. And Ren and Stimpy on Nickelodeon just seemed like, that's bad parenting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I what that love was. that show. I love it. It should have been show. on MTV, but it was a Nickelodeon show. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's hardcore. I remember the first time I saw The Simpsons, and when Bart Simpson said, I'm Bart Simpson, who the hell are you? I'm like, can they do that on television? Yeah. I was yeah, like, this yeah. is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it was hardcore. Yeah. Broke it all wide open. Yeah, totally. Well, Eric, thank you so much for being here. The prank panel's coming to ABC. We'll be uh, yep. looking out for that. And, of course, the Eric Andre Show coming back to Adult Swim uh, in June, right? Yeah, June 4th. All right. Well, we can't wait. We can't wait to see you. And thank you. thanks again for being here. Yeah, of course. All right, Eric Andre, a true child of cable television, his heroes being Johnny Knoxville, Tom Green, and Ali G. That's his holy trinity, you know, yeah. and it totally makes sense. And then the fact that he brought up Wonder Showsen, because like watching his show reminds me of Wonder Showsen. So it made total sense to me that that was an inspiration for him as well. And if you've never seen Wonder Showsen, you should really go try. I don't know if it's on YouTube or not. I haven't looked for it in a long time. It might time, but... be streaming somewhere. Yeah. Guy named Vernon Chapman, who is a, uh, a close um, collaborator with uh, Matt and Trey from South Park. Um, that was his show. It was on MTV kind of a surreal sketch show in its own way and super, super funny and way out there. And yeah. Something, something yeah. worth tracking down. And I loved when he was talking about, you know, when he was a little younger, watching Ren and Stimpy and Beavis and Butthead. Like, I feel like that was such a great time for maybe the best time for Basic Cable, like was like that early to mid 90s, because I feel like every show that I was watching, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but so much of it was the Basic Cable stuff. Like that yeah. was what we were excited about. Including Mystery Science Theater 3000, which someone canceled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was, you know, that was that moment when, you know, Basic Cable was really starting to produce original programming, um, which is prior to that, they didn't do a lot of it, they didn't have a lot of money. And by the way, you know, that, you know, Ren and Stimpy came out of uh, a Nickelodeon uh, initiative to create a bunch of uh, animated shows, which they had never done before, which was quite costly for them. And they hit it out of the box originally with, you know, Rugrats, mm -hmm. Ren and Stimpy, and a show called Doug. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. Right. Doug Funny. Remember Doug? And that was a big deal. I mean, you know, I remember even, you know, being at, you know, at MTV in those days, and we were like, you know, because the kind of money they were spending was unheard of at that point. And we were still sort of running around trying to make these like crazy, crazy cheap shows, you know, like things like Tom Green and and uh, and ultimately, uh, you know, Johnny Knoxville and 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 uh, and that crew. But we weren't we weren't spending money writing scripts. And so it was really a, a turning point, you know, for basic cable. And, and uh, yeah, clearly for Eric, you know, highly, highly influential. And then when you think about it and you hear him talk about it, you could you could really see and feel all those influences in his comedy you know mm -hmm. um it's it's right there and so he's he's really a, he's really the godson of all that and i really feel like that was a time because he was also talking about you know the music of that era wu-tang and beastie boys and beck and i feel like that was a time when what we considered alternative became very mainstream in music right. in a lot of the comedy that he's talking about like a show like Space Ghost. What a weird-ass show. I loved it. Right. But it was just very weird. I'm like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. And he referenced the Beastie Boys and Spike Jones a lot. I mean, those were highly influential videos and a style and a vibe, you know, that, you know, people hadn't necessarily seen before. And I think it really did transcend 
you know, kind of music into, you know, just culture. You know, general. those guys are pranksters too. Absolutely. You remember when, when right. MCA used to always be Horatio Hornblower or whatever at award <laughs> shows? Like they, they were all kind of in that same sensibility. Ecosystem. Yes. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, so yeah, it makes kind of complete sense. Yeah. Well, he was, uh, he was really great. I really enjoyed uh, chat with him. It's a, uh, it's a great show. I, I'm anxious for it to come back. Honestly, didn't think it was, I thought it was, you know, sort of all said and done, but uh, like I said, he's got kind of a curb schedule and mm-hmm. they let him come back whenever he's inspired to do so. That's pretty cool. And I'm excited to see Chuck Liddell almost get vaccinated. I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> is that oh, is that on one? Is that one of one of the new ones? Yeah, I think so. Oh, That's what he we'll said. Check, we'll have to check that out. Well, we hope you enjoyed Eric Andre as much as we did, and uh, Jen and I look forward to uh, having you next time on Basic. Basic is a Pantheon Media production in partnership with Sirius XM, hosted by Jen Cheney and Doug Herzog, produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli. Lindley Ehrlich is our assistant producer. Sound design and music by Jerry Danielson. Mixed and mastered by Brian Slusher. Recorded and edited by Zach Spisner. You can find Basic on Apple Podcasts, the SiriusXM app, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you like the show, please rate, review, and share so other people can find us. Don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.